Do you feel like you need God's encouragement and wisdom throughout the week to take hold of His promise to fly like an eagle? you come to the right place. Welcome to Eagles on the Hill. Let's join our host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. All right, people, I am your host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the podcast. We are going to jump into the deep end today. We're going to talk about solving the Israeli-Palestinian problem. We're going to talk about a solution that's being touted that simply will not work, and I want to explain why it will not work. I think it will be obvious by the time we're done. And then I want to end with a solution that will work. However, it is a long shot. It is, in fact, it would need a miracle. But we're going to talk about it because our God is a God of miracles. So first, let's talk about the solution that's being touted. It's a two-state solution, it's called. And um, to get into this, I want to, I want to just make clear that um, we're not going to go back in history to the uh, dawn of time. This land between Africa, Asia, and Europe is has been fought over for thousands upon thousands of years. We're not we're just not going to go through all that. It's changed hands numerous times. Jews have controlled it. Muslims have controlled it. Christians have controlled it. Pagans have controlled it. Back and forth, around and around it goes through history because it is such an important strip of land. And it has taken on tremendous religious significance as well. So the furthest we're going to go back is World War I, which is over 100 years ago. Uh, that's plenty far uh, back, uh, far enough to go and um, deal with geopolitics from there uh, forward. All right. So we're not going to go back to the time of King David and talk about Israel and the Old Testament. We're not going to talk about the Ottoman Empire and all of that. It's just it's too far in the past. Let's stick with at least the last 110 years or whatever. All right. And like I said, we're going to examine this solution and we're going to see why this solution, this two-state solution, as it's called, will not work. And it's important for us to understand that. What is the two-state solution? The two-state solution is that there will be two nations living side by side in peace with one another. One nation will be a Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. The other nation will be an Arab-Palestinian nation the nation of Palestine, potentially it would be called, living side by side, uh, just like the United States and Canada live side by side. All right. That's the two-state solution. Now, that's what's being touted by uh, politicians here in the United States. It's being touted by politicians all over Europe, by the United Nations, and on and on it goes around the world. Why will the two-state solution not work? We're going to get into that today, but uh, we need to understand that it won't work. Uh, and then, like I said, we're going to get into a solution that will work, although no politician in his right mind is calling for it, but it is a miraculous solution that will give true, lasting peace to the region. It's the only one that will uh, do that. All right, let's start with World War I, and we're going to go through this very quickly. So um, it's going to be a broad look at it, things. In World War I, the uh, British conquered the Ottoman Empire. They received the Ottoman Empire, which included this little strip of land, the land between what is called modern-day Israel, Palestine, whatever you want to call it. The British were charged with figuring out who should control, who should uh, be an authority over this strip of land. And over the course of time between World War I and World War II, up until 1948, they determined they were trying to have a two-state solution, to have Jews and Palestinians live side by side in two separate nations. The Jews accepted the United Nations resolution about this. The Palestinians did not. The Palestinians 
after World War II wanted the whole pie, all or nothing. And so there it was, this two-state solution put forward. Israel accepted it. The Palestinians did not. Israel declared independence in 1948. And immediately there was war. All the Arab nations around Israel attacked Israel the day they declared independence. You would have expected Israel to lose that war in a big fashion, but they did not. They, in fact, won in big fashion. That resulted in refugees, numerous refugees. The refugees that are talked about today come from two different uh, categories of refugees. They're both Palestinians. Some, when, they, when Israel won that war, they kicked certain Palestinians off their land. The others fled at the request of the Arab nations because the Arab nations said, you can flee your land, you can leave your land because we're gonna win the war and when, you, when we do, we'll send you back. Of course, they lost the war. And so now you have these Palestinian refugees ever since 1948. What's never talked about, of course, is that there were Jewish refugees also. Jews living in Arab countries were kicked out of Arab nations and wound up in Israel. You don't hear about those refugees because they simply settled in Israel, got on with their life. All we hear about today is the Palestinian refugees who were promised by the Arab nations, oh, well, don't worry, we'll win, we'll defeat Israel, we'll wipe them off the map, and you can go back to your homes, of course. That hasn't happened. War happened again, 1967, happened again in 1973. The purpose of those wars was to create a one-state solution to wipe Israel off the map, and of course, that didn't happen. Amongst the Palestinians, an organization was established, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, famously headed by Yasser Arafat back in the day, and its purpose was to create a one-state solution. It's the same solution that the Palestinians have been pushing for ever since the end of World War I. A one-state solution, a Palestinian state wiping Israel off the map. Famously, Yasser Arafat and Ehud Barak, who was Prime Minister of Israel at that time, and President Clinton, met for two weeks in the year 2000 at Camp David. And in those negotiations to try to figure out a settlement for this, Arafat was given almost everything he asked for, and history records that he withdrew from those negotiations. President Clinton famously said that Arafat was in negotiations for two weeks, and all he could say was no, no, no. No to every proposal that was made. After that, you have the rise of Hamas uh, and so forth. So in the early 2000s, Israel decided on their own to implement a two-state solution. And what did they do? They went into Gaza and they removed every Jew living in Gaza. They, re and they removed every dead Jew buried in Gaza, brought them all out to what is currently modern-day Israel, and said, Gaza, you're on your own. It's a two-state solution. They did this, Israel did, in spite of knowing that the Palestinians were not working toward a two-state solution. They were working toward a one-state solution. <clears throat> toward the elimination of Israel. The point is, essentially, we've had a two-state solution on the books for almost 20 years until October 7th. There were no Jews, dead or alive, in Gaza. How did that work out? Well, I think if you've been watching the news, we know what happened October 7th, 2023. So this two-state solution that we're hearing about, that would work in utopia, but it's not going to work in the real world. And the proof of that is October 7th. The Palestinian cause represented by Hamas and the Islamist movement is clearly committed to the eradication of Israel and 
to the eradication of anyone who wants to make peace with Israel. And so when Egypt made peace with Israel, back in the day, Anwar Sadat was murdered. The leader of Israel, or leader of Egypt, sorry, was murdered because of his peace treaty with Israel. So if you don't understand that, then you don't understand Hamas. You don't understand what's going on in Gaza and increasingly in the West Bank also. So now the push for a two-state solution, the tide has changed. Israel, basically, there's no constituency in Israel to back a two-state solution because of what happened on October 7th. Those who thought that given economic incentives, et cetera, et cetera, there could be this kind of uh, peace between Palestinians and Israel living on the same land, two states, those people are gone in Israel. Their, their tune has changed. Uh, it's, it would be, uh, to compare it to, what would, to, to something we're familiar with, it would be as if the United States tried to live side by side with Canada, and if the Canadians did not believe that the United States had a right to exist, if the Canadians were continually firing rockets into Detroit and Buffalo every time we turned around. I mean, we could be okay with them firing rockets into Detroit, but not Buffalo. I'm just kidding. All right, you get the point. So my point is that barring any a great change in the views of Palestinians, this two-state solution is a foreign policy fantasy. And every once in a while, it would be good to hear at least a little bit of honesty from politicians about that. It's not going to happen. Israel knows it. It's just extremely frustrating that so many people aren't speaking honestly about the situation because one of the first things to actually get to a solution is to realize which solutions won't work. And if world leaders are constantly talking about this two-state solution, they're barking up the wrong tree. What they're going to achieve, if ever a two-state solution occurred, would be finally, ultimately, a one-state solution and the genocide of the Jews in Israel. So what you have going on right now is a lot of political posturing about nothing. All right, so that's the two-state solution. Not very promising, would you say? I promised you at the beginning of the podcast that I would give you a solution that would work. Uh, this solution is not a political solution. It's not an easy solution, but it's a, a solution that will work. As you might have guessed, it's a spiritual solution. What's the answer here? What's the way forward? Well, I've been watching uh, some videos. I followed him for quite a while by some folks named Sergio and Rhoda on YouTube. Sergio comes from a Jewish background. Rhoda comes from an Arab background. They are both Christians and they are married and live in Nazareth. And I wanna play about three or four minutes of their story because their story is a microcosm of the solution that will work to have Jews and Arabs live side by side in peace with one another. Let's check it out. They have been holding uh, prayer nights ever since the war started, every single night uh, in this place, hmm. praying for the government, praying for the situation, praying for peace. So this group of people you see here consists of both Jews and Arabs. Because we are family, because we are one, we are one man. This is what God's done in us. Both Jews and Arabs get together to fellowship and worship. Uh, but it's, it was tough the first few days of the war. Naturally, I felt lots of anger, lots of uh, frustration. When, when you don't know what's going to happen, it's these situations that push you to God, uh, to seek Him, because you have nothing to do in your own hands. Yeah. Amen. So, how is this possible? How could these folks be together when most of Jews and Arabs are divided? In this group, in this circle, the reason is 
Christ. In fact, this is exactly how Rhoda and I met 15 years ago. Rhoda's dad organized a meeting at his church between Arabs and Jews. And some of you might not know this, but I'm a descendant from a Jewish family. Well, Rhoda, of Arab. Yet we're both Israelis. And yes, I had to serve in the military. And when we were getting married, people told us, Jews and Arabs have such different cultures, we don't have anything in common. Your relationship is not going to last, it won't work. In fact, because we were from different races, we could not even legally get married in Israel. Yes, uh, Rhoda and I had to fly to Cyprus to get eloped, then come back to Israel and show them the proper papers that we are already married, and only then Israel recognized our marriage. And then after that, we still did a big wedding ceremony with our pastor. On my side, I had about 30 people in total, most of them friends and family members, mom, dad, brother, cousin. But on the other side, Rhoda had mostly family come. About 800 people. Yes, actually it was more than 800, but the guy at the entrance said he stopped counting at 800. But far as we know, we were the first Israeli marriage between a Jew and an Arab girl. But how is this even possible? How could there be a reconciliation between the two groups of people? So here's what's interesting. After we got married, Rhoda and I moved to the US to do things that we thought people do in the US. Yard sale! Yard sale! But it was really because of my job. At that time, I thought there is no way our parents would ever be friends. I mean, they are so different. And without me and Rhoda being here, they have no reason to even get together. But then a few months later, after we moved, I get a call from my mom and she says, we had such a great time at Rhoda's parents' place the other day. I was shocked, but apparently they were meeting on a regular basis, despite us not being in Israel anymore. They would celebrate Jewish and Christian holidays together. They became not just friends, but family. In fact, when my dad had a heart attack, Rhoda's parents were by his bedside for days, with my mom the entire time. A few years later, when I asked my dad, how is all this possible, that you guys are friends? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, in Christ, there are no differences. We are all one in Christ Jesus. After a few years in the US, Rhoda and I came back to Israel eventually and have lived here for five years in Nazareth. I got to know her immediate family and her extended family. And they are exceptional people. They love God and they love others, including their Jewish neighbors. So is there hope for peace? Yes, there certainly is. Is there hope for peace? Yes, there certainly is. The solution is not a political one. I don't have great ideas about the political solution, but I know what the real solution is. And you do too, I think, if you think about it. The real solution is Christ. Think about the situation in Paul's day between Jews and Gentiles, between Jews and Arabs. Paul says in Galatians chapter three, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all was over all and through all and in all. That's the hope. And it's not just a wish. Look what happened in Paul's day as Paul set out from Antioch to go around the Roman Empire. 
The church was just Jewish at that time, but the church quickly took on many, many more Gentiles as they came to faith in Christ as well. And so Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Jew nor Arab. You heard that in Sergio and Rhoda's testimony as their families have joined together in Christ. They've broken the bonds that separated them as Jew and Arab. Is this a long shot? You bet it is for all Jews, for all Arabs to know Jesus. It's a long shot. But our God specializes in long shots. Our God specializes in raising the dead to life, doesn't he? It's the story of the resurrection. It's not just a story. It's an account. It's what really happened. God brought death, took death, and brought life out of death. And so too God can bring peace where there is no peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so while we cast about for a political solution, don't lose sight of the real solution. The real solution that will work, that's permanent, Jesus Christ, that makes the two one. That's what we got for you today on the podcast. We encourage you to uh, continue to be listening to other podcasts as we do them. Write us at eaglesonthehill211 at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about this podcast. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts together. Remember, as we close, that those who hope in the Lord renew their strength and fly on wings like either eagles. Thanks for listening to the podcast.